Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name's Chris, and we're so glad you chose to hang out with us today. Uh, we are in a series uh, that we have entitled Stand, which uh, is looking at five different stories in the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament, uh, the first half of the Bible. And what we're talking about is how do we learn how to stand with what matters most? And this morning, uh, what I want to talk about is how do we stand up to do the right thing, to say the right thing, and how do we stand up to confront in love? Uh, just by a show of hands here real quick, everybody on the stream, if you can participate as well, how many of you would say you are non-confrontational? Go ahead, raise your hand. Uh, those of you in the balcony, non-confrontational. Um, some of you right now are so non-confrontational, just raising your hand. Thinks, you think there's a controversy, so you're not going to raise your hand. Uh, okay, so that's you. And then uh, how many of you, though, would say you're very confrontational? Raise your hand. You're very confrontational. Some of you are like two hands, right? You're like, one hand is not enough. Uh, I'll go ahead and I'll raise two. You're the people that if I say something wrong, you're going to let me know after church. You're going to put something on social media to let me know that I'm an idiot. Let me help you save some time. I already know I'm an idiot. So uh, don't go ahead and send anything. But all of us tend to be at one of those two extremes. Either we tend to be sometimes very non-confrontational or we're very confrontational. And I want to share just kind of giving you a sense of what those extremes look like. And this is your first fill-in either on the program uh, or in the app. And uh, this is it. Some are unwilling to confront. That's one of the extremes. Some people are just unwilling to confront. Several years ago, uh, we had a friend of ours who had gone through a really difficult divorce. And uh, she was living in a house by herself with her infant son. And I wanted to show some love to her uh, practically in God's, uh, in God's way. And so I asked her, I said, do you have anyone that's mowing your yard? And she said, no, I don't. And I said, well, I'm willing to do it for the summer. And so I was mowing her yard, and then every once in a while she'd come out, and uh, she let me know that actually the reason why the divorce took place is because she had had an affair uh, on her husband. And there was a lot of pain there, and there was a lot of hurt, and yet she was very open to things of God and she would ask conversations until uh, particularly one moment. Uh, she was asking a lot of things, and I knew it was an opportunity that I needed to confront in love. But instead of speaking any truth whatsoever, I just said, God loves you no matter what. And I went back to just mowing because I didn't want to talk about some of the things that she was doing, that there are consequences to our actions, and I just kept on mowing. Instead of speaking the truth and confronting her in love, which actually, folks, would have been the loving thing to do, I simply walked away. Have you ever had a family member making a lot of bad decisions, and you felt this sense that you should confront them, 
but you were unwilling to confront, you were fearful to do so, and therefore you didn't. Have you ever had a friend before where their life is kind of going off the rails, maybe um, in their financial world or in their sexual world, and there was a sense that you knew you should confront them, but you didn't want to because you were fearful of what would happen and you were unwilling to confront, and then you saw more pain hit their life. So one side is we are just unwilling to confront. Another extreme that we have when it comes to confrontation is this. Some confront unlovingly. Some people, when it comes down to it, they just confront unlovingly. Well, that summer, I just kept mowing this woman's yard, and I started getting a little frustrated every time I would mow Because I was thinking, here I am mowing for you and you're having this affair and this whole crazy in your world. And I'm getting frustrated uh, giving myself away for you. And her painful divorce was difficult. But I was like, you know what? Some of that, you know, you just kind of deserve. And I was thinking all this in my mind. And one day she came out to give me a lemonade. And as she came out... I already kind of had this harsh sense of like I was going to confront her today. And she said, you know, I've stopped the affair, but I'm just wondering about the divorce. What do you think? And this is what I said very early on uh, in the life of the church. This is what I said. God hates divorce. You should go to church and so should your son. And you saw this woman just kind of drooped down and her shoulders turned in and she walked back into the house and I realized in that moment I had blown it. I confronted. I just didn't do it in a loving way. I blew it because I didn't do it in love. If you're a parent, I have a feeling That every once in a while, your child might make a mistake. And when they do, instead of thinking about how I should respond, you just get angry and you get upset and you go off and you're harsh. And then all of a sudden you see their shoulders kind of go down. And you confronted. You just didn't do it in love. Have you ever had a coworker before that you didn't agree with their lifestyle at all? And they weren't a Christian, but you wanted to let them know that you were one. And rather than confronting in love, you just kind of confronted in a very unloving way and you saw them go down. You see, folks, it's important to stand up, but we need to stand up at the right time and say the right thing. So let me say that again. It is important to stand up, but you stand up at the right time and you say The right things. Now, for the rest of our time, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how Daniel stood up to King Nebuchadnezzar. And we learned last week that this king was extremely evil. In fact, he didn't even see himself as a king. He actually saw himself as a deity. He saw himself as God. And so 
He didn't have much thought on human life. And so we know historically that he burned people alive. He actually took the heads of enemy infants and he would stomp on them. That he actually burnt down the temple, the place of the most high God. He was a horrible man. Well, one night he kind of has this crazy dream that freaks him out. And he's not so sure what to do, so he invites all of the magicians and interpreters to come in, and he asks them the question, what does this dream mean? Now, the truth is, folks, any second grader could have interpreted the dream. But even though they could have, would they? And the question is, they would not. Because they knew it was a bad thing for the king. And Nebuchadnezzar was actually known for killing people who brought him any bad news, even if it was true. So they all get together like, whoa, that's like a really difficult dream to interpret. We have no idea. We have no idea what that is. King, you're going to have to find somebody else. And so that's what the king did. He reaches out to Daniel and this is what he says to Daniel. I dreamt about this giant tree that reached up toward the heavens And the branches and the leaves gave so much shade that it was a blessing to all the people and all of the animals in the tree. And the fruit was provided for many, many people. And suddenly a holy one from heaven shouted down, cut down that tree. And only leave a stump so that everyone would know that the most high God is the God over all of the nations. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he hears this, or he gives this dream to Daniel, and when Daniel hears the dream, he's just quiet. He doesn't want to really tell the king exactly what it's about. There's a piece of him that wants to be different, though, so he decides to tell the truth. Now, he could have been like the other magicians and interpreters, and he could have just said, you know what, King, this is such a difficult dream. I I just don't know. I mean, that's a hard one for me. Or he could have said, did you have pizza last night? Because sometimes when I have pizza late at night, I don't, you know, sleep so well. And maybe you just had a nightmare and I wouldn't worry about it so much, King. But Daniel's not like that. And he stands up and he tells him the truth because he loves the king. And he wants the king to actually go into the direction toward God. And the first thing that Daniel says is, King, O king, this dream, I wish it were about your enemies. He says, I I wish that this dream was about your enemies because he cares for the king. And then he says, but it's not about your enemies. It's about You. And then Daniel tells the truth of the dream in verse 22 in chapter 4 when he says this. Your majesty, you are the tree. He said, you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the skies and your dominion extends to all distant parts of the earth. And then in verse 25 He translates the dream and Daniel says, 
Here's what it means. He says, you'll be driven away from your people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. In other words, he says, you're going to be like on all fours. And you're going to be a wild animal. You're going to go crazy. And everyone's going to look at you and go, the king has lost it. He's lost his mind. And then it goes on to say, seven times will pass. What's that mean? Seven times. It means seven years. Seven years you will go by for you. Seven years will go by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And then verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots. This is the good news, King. This is the good news. That your kingdom will be restored one day when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And Daniel goes ahead, and even though he knows it's dangerous, it could cost him his life, he goes ahead and he interprets the dream. But the thing is, is that Daniel doesn't just stop with the interpretation of the dream, he does even more. He goes ahead and he talks about not just what the dream means, but he tells him some advice. He says, this is what you need to do. He wants to tell him the right thing to do because he cares for the king and he wants the king to have the goodness of God in his life. So he doesn't just interpret, but he tries to give him some advice. He doesn't do it because he's proudful or he's prideful. He doesn't do it because he's arrogant. He does it because he cares for the king. And he stood up to the king when many others wouldn't because he wanted him to experience the goodness of God. And with courage, this is what he says in verse 27. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. And then this is what he says. Let's all read these next underlined words together. Everyone together. Everyone who's on the stream. Let's read it together. Stop sinning and do what is right. Go ahead. Let's say it again. All out loud together. Stop sinning and do what is right. In other words, just do the right thing. Spike Lee said that, right? Just do the right thing. Folks, anytime you're going to help Lovingly confront another person. This is basically what God is asking you to say. He says, you should go to a friend and say, stop spending your money foolishly and do what is right. Stop being so harsh towards your kids and do what is right. Stop disrespecting me, please, and do what is right. And that's what Daniel said. He said, stop sinning and do what is right. And then he goes on to say this, break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. In other words, stop oppressing the poor. God has given you influence to be able to impact other people's life. Stop oppressing them. Be a blessing to the poor. Reach out to the poor. Care for the poor. Be merciful to them. And then he says, perhaps then, perhaps, just perhaps, you will then continue 
to prosper. In other words, king, do the right thing. I want God to be able to bless your life. Just do the right thing. You know, folks, if you're a follower of Christ, there's probably going to come a time in which someone in your life is doing some things that are not good and are harmful, and God's going to ask you to actually reach out to them and to tell them to do the right thing. And in that moment, you'll have the opportunity to choose whether you're going to stand up or you're going to cower. And just like God might ask you to do that, the truth is, if you're a Christ follower, is that sometimes people are going to go into your life and they're going to see blind spots and they're going to tell you to change something in your life. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've appreciated so much people sharing blind spots in my own life so that I could get better and not create harm. Now, I want you to know that when God calls you to confront someone, he actually uh, gives us a plan because it's really important how you do this. And there's a guy by the name of Paul in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, who is one of Jesus's closest followers. And he gives us a process of how we are to confront other people. And in Galatians chapter six, starting in verse one, Paul writes to this church and this is what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, if in, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should what? Let's read this underlined part together. What should we do? Gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Gently and humbly, not arrogantly and harsh. And so basically what Paul is saying is with another Christian, this isn't a non-Christian, but someone who you know who's a follower, you say, hey, you're a Christian and I'm a Christian. I'm not any better than you. You're not any better than me. But this is, there's this area in your life that's going on and I think it could cause some pain and hurt for you. And so I'm going to actually go ahead and tell you, I think you need to change something. I think you need to do something different. And you do that to help them to get back on the right path. And then Paul goes on to say these words that are interesting. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. You see, sometimes what God does is he will pair you with someone who's going through something you've already experienced before. And so he asks you to confront them. But if you're not careful, you may fall into the same temptation as that person. And folks, when we confront you and I, we have to go into it with an attitude that is very prayerful. And I just simply want to share with you two simple practical prayers that you could actually pray before you ever have to confront someone. The first prayer is this. God, help me to confront with the goal of restoration. God, actually, help me to confront with the sense that I really do want this to be restored. When you want to help someone that you love to get back on the right path, 
We never confront, listen to this, we never confront because we're right. We only confront because we want that person to be right with God. Let me say that again. We never confront because we're right. I'm right. You're wrong. You don't have it together. I have it together. No, no, no. We only confront to help someone else to be right with God. And Paul says the way that you do that is you do that gently and humbly and you help that person back onto the right path. Folks, how you approach another person is probably just as important as what you actually say. How you approach is really, really important. Your tone and the timing of when you do it. Let me give you an example. Uh, when the church was very early, there was a uh, man who was very, very far from God. And he went ahead and uh, started coming to the jar with a friend of his. And the two of them would come together regularly until finally that guy actually invited his wife to come with him. And so then his wife started coming and kept growing and growing, got into small groups, uh, which you should do. Get in a small group. It helps you grow. And eventually they got baptized. And by the way, if you haven't been baptized yet, even those of you that are on the stream, um, today we're going to have a baptism class at noon. I hope you would come. It's a great starting point for you to to be a part of that. And so he kept growing and growing, and one particular Sunday, I was teaching, and uh, I gave a funny illustration about my mom's side of the family, who are from Perry County, Kentucky. Not Perry County, it's Perry County. And uh, I asked my mom beforehand, can I do this? And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. It's funny. And so I gave a few examples of my relatives... Uh, My peeps down in Kentucky. And I said, they're a bunch of dumb hillbillies just like me. And I didn't think anything about it. And people were laughing and it was all well. And then later that week, this man called me and said, hey, Chris, can I talk to you? And I want you to know that this guy is one of the kindest uh, men that I know. And uh, we met at my office and he came in and he said, hey, Chris, I want you to know I love our church. And I love you and your family. And we're here uh, for the duration. It doesn't matter. We're here. And uh, I just wanted to tell you, though, that when you said a bunch of dumb hillbillies, it really hurt me. And when he first said it, I was like, get over it. Like in my mind. You ever do that? Somebody confronts you and initially you're just kind of defensive. You're like, hey, get over. I'm like, hey, I already talked to my mom. She said it was fine. And, you know, I'm trying to, you know, rationalize the reason why I did this. And, you know, I'm like, dude, don't be so sensitive. Like, get over it. And then he told me a story and he said, I grew up in a neighborhood where everyone was from the South. And when you told that story, I had the faces of every single person in my neighborhood and the derogatory things that were talked about them and told about them behind their back. And it just created some pain. And he said, Chris, I know you didn't do this to try to hurt anyone's feelings. I know you just did it for a couple of laughs and and I get all of that. But 
I just want to know, would you consider thinking about what you say and just be careful, no matter what it is, that it might offend someone. And you see, because he came to me very gently and humbly and in a loving way, it was very, very easy for me to receive the correction. And I recognized that there were a couple of times because I was trying to reach people who were far from God that I'd say some things that were not always real kind and kind of crude sometimes. And so now I actually have someone who edits everything, looks over my teaching before I ever get up here to speak and helps me get rid of anything that is crude or might be inappropriate. Now, sometimes I still say stupid things. And you all are like, yep, we know. I want you to know that's usually not in the script. That's in this mind, okay? But for those of you who weren't here in the very early days, I've come a really long way, folks, from where I was. And it's all because I had another Christian brother lovingly, humbly, caringly confront me and help me to get back on the right path. So, when you confront, the prayer prayer that you should pray is, God, help me to confront with a goal of restoration. The second prayer that I'm going to encourage you to simply say is this, God, help me to confront with caution. God, help me to confront with caution. Again, Paul says, be gentle and humble When you confront so that you can help people to get back on the right path. And then he goes on to say, be careful not to fall into the same temptation as the other person. You see, here's the thing, folks. When we confront other people, guess what can happen? You become vulnerable with pride. You actually become vulnerable with pride and you go to confront the other person. And I've done this before. I'm like, well, I'm more spiritual than they are. I mean, heck, I'm a pastor, you know, and and uh, even when I wasn't a pastor and I'd confront people, sometimes in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm a better person than they are. They should just listen to me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Be careful. Be cautious of what you say. Don't do that. Guard yourselves. You know, folks, if I ever have to bring loving confrontation to you or correction to you, if I ever have to lovingly confront and correct you, I am not above you. And if you ever have to confront me, you are not above me. And if we're loving and we're correcting one another, what we understand is that we're both lower than God. We're lower than God. And when we realize that we're actually way lower than God, then we can correct one another in a right way for the right reasons. Now, one last thing for each one of you. You are not responsible for how the other person responds. Because sometimes when you confront, people don't respond like, well, thank you. Oh, I've just been waiting. Like, who's going to do this for me? Okay? no, no. You're not responsible for how they respond. You are responsible for obeying 
what God calls you to do. You do what is right and you trust God with the results. You do the right thing and then you trust God with the results. In the story of Daniel, even though Daniel came humbly and he came with a caring heart, a loving, genuine spirit, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebi, went ahead on for seven years and he rebelled and he disobeyed God. Seven horrible years after Daniel gave the advice. But by the grace of God, after seven years, verse 34 says this, At the end of that time, at the end of the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High God. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Seven years later... Seven years, he actually came and he repented and he turns to God and his life gets changed and God becomes glorified. And do you know why this whole story even happened is because Daniel chose to stand up when no one else would. And his life was changed. The king's life was changed because Daniel chose to stand up. Who in your life right now is going through something and you need to stand up? Who is it that you need to stand up to? And I'm telling you, it's going to be risky. And it may get messy. It may even get a little ugly. But who is it in your life That you need to stand up. Maybe for some of you, it's your marriage. You're in a very difficult marriage right now. And the truth is, is that you need to say, you know what? I'm tired of being a doormat. I just feel like you never respect me. You never like honor me. And I want to do this with you. I love you. I want what's best for us. But could we come together? Could we do something together? Maybe we could get counseling. Maybe something could change. Maybe for others of you, it's a wayward child. You're a parent. Your kid's kind of off the rails. And you're like, I'm just afraid. But you know you need to confront and say, just listen to me. I don't have all the answers. But I've gone down bad paths before and I'm telling you this path that you're going down right now it doesn't help let's get some help for you would you would you be willing to get some help maybe it's a co-worker or a friend and they're making some really bad choices and and you're just letting it happen and you you know that they're right on the edge of a cliff and could you actually be the person who would go in love and confront where they're at. I don't want to see you get hurt and fall off the ledge. Folks, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, sometimes what happens is He actually connects your heart and challenges you to confront someone else. Do it gently. Do it humbly. But don't just let it go by because you're, when you ignore, you hurt them just as much. And as you do this, you can then help them to get on the right path. 
not because you're right and they're wrong. There's none of that. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's that I want to help this person to become right with God. And God's asking you, would you be willing to stand up? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us to be the type of church that has gentle and humble people desiring to restore all the relationships that are in our life and to be cautious whenever it is that we confront. And right now, I just want to ask you, is there someone in your life who you know their world is just going down a wrong path? Is there, for some of you, even as I've been talking, there's a name, there's a face, there's someone in your path. My question is, would you be willing to confront them in love? To help them on the right path, to, to do it for the right reasons, to do it in the right way. If you're like, you know what, there is someone, there's someone I know, and I've been pushing it off. But you're like, I need to do that. I need to do that this week. I need to, to just say something in love, but I need to say the right thing. Would you just raise your hand? And maybe for some of you, you're like, hey, every eye's closed, no one sees. But maybe for some of you, you're like, I can't think of a name right now. But would you have the courage like Daniel did, that if God places someone in your path, that you would be willing to lovingly confront if they're going off the rails. Folks, this is why you need to know this is so important. Because my friend who I told you I mowed yards for, her life continued to spiral out of control to the point where she got addicted to drugs, lost her job, lost her family, lost everything. And we kept reaching out to her, loving her, until... The day that she got sober and she got off prescription medication and her whole life changed. But then she got remarried and the only two people in all of Muncie, Indiana who were at her wedding on that day was my wife Jennifer and myself. Because people matter to God. And sometimes we have to lovingly confront them to see that. So if you're that person, you're raising your hand, let me just pray for you right now. God, I pray for each hand that is lifted. God, would you help them to lovingly know how to confront? God, help them to be available if they're like, hey, I'm not sure, but I'm open to it. I pray for marriages right now that need to have some tough conversations. Help them to do that gently and humbly. And would you bring healing wherever the marriage is broken? I pray for parents who are aching because their children are making poor choices. God, give them the wisdom to know when it is that you want them to step in. I pray, God, for people who have a friend or a co-worker who are headed for a crash. Help them to know that you are counting on them to be able to lovingly confront them. You can put your hands down. Now, maybe there are some of you that, as we've been going through this teaching, the truth is you've been feeling convicted, kind of confronted by God, like, 
You know where the damage is happening right now? You don't have a relationship with me. And God looks down at you and he's not going to take you through a whole big judgmental, horrible, you're a horrible person. No, he says, I want to reach down to lovingly confront, but we have to have a relationship. And so today is the day in which you want to give your one and only life to Christ. If you've been drifting away and today's the day where you want to drift back, if you're ready to say, Jesus, I need you in my life, then I'm going to invite you in a prayer. And it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself. But if you're ready to say, I need his forgiveness, I need his grace, I need a fresh start, I need him in my life, then I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. And you don't pray it alone. We pray together in community. Let's pray. Just simply repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.